I, like many other faculty, work primarily from home. Unlike most other faculty, I also teach from home, as our program is 100% online. This means I don't come to campus for classes, and even office hours are held virtually, though I do give my students the option to meet somewhere if they wish, though few can or do. I'm torn about this, as I've written about previously, so I thought I'd take the time to make an episode of The New Professor about it. It's a simple episode this week. While I'm not working from home, I am working on the go, and I don't have access to many of my production materials, so I hope you enjoy regardless. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, Assistant Professor of Educational Technology at the University of Arizona, and this is The New Professor. Pros of working from home are many and varied. You often hear working from home just being called telecommuting, working remotely, or even just remote. Though I'm really focusing more on doing your job from more or less a home office. Now, clearly, the main perk here is simply convenience. I mean, how many people wish they could do their job in their pajamas from bed, after all? And I'll come back to this when we get to the cons. But there's really no denying it's convenient. The lack of a commute means you save both time and money on vehicle wear and tear and gas. It's super easy to get ready for work in the morning. You can eat healthily throughout the day, warding off that urge to just grab a little something from the vending machine when you're in a rush. And there are no co-workers or workplace distractions that prevent you from focusing on your work. Oh, and when the cable company says they'll show up between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m., that's okay. I read a piece the other day about how someone who did mainly work from home decided to actually voluntarily pay rent for a space in a shared working location, like renting an office, simply to get the socialization of being around people during the day, even if those people weren't working with or for him, and they weren't. I can see both sides of this, as I'm sure you can as well, and I'd suggest that if you have the means and the desire to do that, go for it. The comments were not so forgiving, though. And I found this to be really disappointing. I thought, hey, this guy is just trying to share his experience and what he did to improve his life. And if it sounds like something that would work for you, knock yourself out. No one's forcing you to do it. No one's forcing you to live and work this way. But never read the comments is another episode. Now, if you want to dig more into the concrete examples of these kinds of spaces, in case you're curious, uh, Tucson, where I'm located, has a few, like Spoke 6, and Connect Coworking, the latter of which has beer on draft, amazingly. And I'll, I'll link to these in the show notes. But I really like the fact that I can wake up, see my partner off to work after she's given me a lovable stink eye because I get to stay home, 
grab my tablet and a cup of coffee and go sit on the back porch and read, grade, and write. Maybe even work on an episode of this podcast. It's a pleasure and a privilege. But it can be a double-edged sword. See, the way I see it, the cons really come in three different flavors. Who you work for. For example, if you work for yourself or if you are actually employed by someone. How motivated and self-disciplined you are. And interpersonal considerations, shall we say. First, employed and working remotely versus self-employed and working from home. Now, if you're working remotely, you are still beholden to someone else's schedule. Now, even if you work for yourself, you still might have clients' schedules and deadlines to attend to, items you need to ship out, that kind of thing. I'm referring more to someone instructing you on what needs done each day, and more often than not, instructing on what your priorities should be, despite how you might feel about that. I feel like those of us in the academy are somewhere in the middle of this. I mean, we have class prep, we have grading committees, advising responsibilities, and all those are certainly on someone else's timeline, generally speaking. But we also have more self-directed work, like research studies and, well, content like this podcast. Deadlines like these are, for the most part, self-imposed. And while a certain journal or conference might have submission deadlines, and I like to get my podcast episodes out on a Wednesday, the choice to submit to these particular entities and their requirements is more or less entirely ours. I feel like this might be equivalent to Google's 20% free time policy, where employees could use a fifth of their work week on side projects. Now, Google has since killed this policy, though some pretty impressive things actually came out of it, like Gmail and AdSense. It's actually gaining popularity with other companies. And I think it would be interesting to see universities adopt a policy similar to this with the staff, but that's, I think, another topic entirely. So back to the cons. Motivation and self-discipline. Now, there is, as far as I can see, no silver bullet for maintaining motivation and self-discipline when working remotely or working from home. If you have a lot of external deadlines, that's some pretty good motivation, but if not, things can get trickier. Now, basically, there are some strategies that you can employ, but it really comes down to just do it. Just get it done. Now, I'll get to these suggestions in just a minute, but if it's just distraction you're concerned with, that's something I hit on in an earlier episode, so feel free to go back and listen to that if you want. It's episode two. So finally, and while I haven't experienced this myself, thankfully, I've seen it referred to and can understand why it could become an issue when working from home specifically, and that has to do with other members of your household. Now, I'm not talking about kids bothering you in your office during the day. I'm talking about something a little bit more subtle. The example I remember, and I apologize, but I can't remember where I heard this, had to do with someone changing their work schedule to one where they worked from home, and that meant that their partner, who actually did commute and worked outside the home, was then basically bereft of any alone time outside their commute. Now, for some people... Their time alone is a much-needed period of rest and recuperation, and after dealing with the social stresses throughout the day, 
it is essential to their happiness. When things change and that alone time is all but totally removed, it's possible that stress levels can rise and cause conflict at home. So if you're already working from home or considering changing your schedule or job to incorporate that, it's something you'll want to think on and definitely have a discussion about with your significant other. Now, the internet has no shortage of productivity and efficiency, quote-unquote, experts. From shortening your workday to decluttering as a literal life-changer, it is all over the place. So I want to share just a few of them, and I'm not going to tell you which ones work for me, because I feel like this is an incredibly personal thing, and making the effort to find out exactly what works for you, that's integral to the process, and again, there is no silver bullet. So first, dress like you're actually going to work. So some experts suggest, and I say quote-unquote experts, suggest that even though you are going to be working from home, you should still dress as though you were going into the office. The premise behind this is the idea that you should dress the part. And by doing so, you will essentially trick yourself into getting into the right headspace for working. Now, cognitively speaking, it makes sense, though it most certainly would also increase your laundry load. So ironing, I'd suggest, is optional. Second, have set working hours. If you work in an office eight to five, you could try doing the same thing at home during those same hours. It's the notion that when you are in your office, even if that office is just half the dining room table, you are at work and you need to be sat at that desk or table or whatever at 8 a.m. sharp. Of course, it's rare in the academy that you actually get to work 8 to 5, but setting similar boundaries could prove to be effective. I mean, just about everyone I know, whether by policy or by choice, adds a section to a syllabus talking about the hours after or before which they will not be answering emails. Same thing, really. Third, make it clear that you are at work. I was chatting with someone on a plane recently about just this topic, and she said she has to remind her family that while she's at work, which is from home, she's actually, honestly, really not available. She said, and I agree with that, this is a risk. People tend to think that if you work from home, you can spend all day doing other things or just generally free. And while that might seem like the case at times, and I think everyone who works from home is guilty of having done this, it's not the rule. In fact, the rule is quite the opposite. And Kimberly, I'm sure you'll probably never hear this, but thank you for a thoroughly enjoyable flight and remember, if you aren't riding that bike, I am so taking it. Now, I think there is a potential happy medium. For example, if I'm using the Pomodoro technique, during my short breaks, maybe I'll throw a load of laundry in, or play a quick game of fetch with the dogs. Making rules for yourself is one thing, but being obsessive about them is another. Part of being an effective educator, in my estimation, is the ability to improvise and roll with the punches. I once had a professor way back in my undergrad that said to us, the best instruction manual you will ever read on how to be an educator is Stanislavski's An Actor Prepares. And while that's a bit hyperbolic, I certainly don't think it's bad for you. Finally, make little changes to remove unnecessary distractions from your workday. 
Now, I list a lot of tools and strategies back in episode two, but I wanted to share one right now that I didn't mention back then. And that is this. If you need a phone to do your job, and by this I mean you rely on phone calls or make enough to consider using your phone absolutely essential to your work, consider using a Google Voice number. You can have a custom number that you can use just for work. I mean, I picked one that even spells out my name. More than that, you can use your Google Voice account via your computer, meaning you can take your smartphone and charge it in the living room, simply removing that source of distraction while still providing you the option of making and receiving phone calls at your desk. Similarly, you can set it up to simply not ring during those off hours, or maybe just forward it to your phone, your other phone. So how does this physical divorce from campus culture impact the college feel? Well, actually, I want to make another show about that, specifically. I mean, part of the traditional college experience, at least my quote-unquote traditional college experience, is the physical act of being there which I suppose is analogous to finding that shared workspace if you don't have an office to go to. While it's not impossible to make genuine, meaningful connections, be they student to student, instructor to student, or among faculty colleagues, while being fully remote, it certainly does present its own collection of hurdles, many of which I fear are often possibly either not given the attention they deserve or simply go unnoticed. So while I won't say next time on The New Professor, I will say... Soon. <laughs>